It was the book of Ecclesiastes that said to us, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. And that time is going to come to each one of us. If the Lord tarries from consummating the age, we will have to cross over, go through that valley of the shadow of death, just like every other human being that's ever lived. The last time I checked, the death rate was still 100% for the human family. So there does come a time to die. And we need to live our life preparing for that time. In our text this morning, the text from the book of Deuteronomy, we encounter a powerful text. It's the text about the death of Moses. Rashi was a famous rabbi of the Middle Ages, and Rashi wrote saying that Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy up to what we call chapter 34. And then at chapter 34, Joshua became the author of the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 34 records the death of the great man Moses. The time had come for Moses to die, and you see how Moses goes up atop Mount Nebo. That's one of the highest mountains in the Pisgah Range. Today we find that mountain in what we call the land of Jordan. It's on the east side of the Jordan River. Several years ago, Tammy and I had the gift of being atop Mount Nebo. And it is amazing how far you can see across the promised land, the holy land, standing atop Mount Nebo. God allowed Moses to go up there, and God showed Moses the land of promise to which his people were traveling. There atop Mount Nebo, Moses looked northward, to the city of Dan. Moses looked westward to what the text calls the the Western Sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea for us. Moses looked southward all the way through the Negev. He saw the city of Zor. And you heard in the text that even though Moses was 120 years old, the text said that, that his eyes were still very, very strong. His eyes had not grown weary with his age. But even though his eyes were still very, very strong, I think he had to receive a supernatural gift at this point to see this much of the land of promise. So it was a great gift that God gave Moses on this day atop Mount Nebo. And then after God showed him the totality of this land, God renewed the promise that God had made to the patriarchs and to Moses. God said to Moses, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. So after the covenant promise was renewed to Moses from God, God went on to speak some rather sobering words to Moses. God went on to say, I have let you see it with your eyes, but but you shall not cross over there. And then in the text, something that is rather beautiful happens. The text says that 
Moses died, and God buried Moses. Now, I know in the English translation in front of me, in verse 6, it says, He was buried, but the Hebrew is even clearer. He, God, buried Moses. And the rabbis throughout the centuries have said that it was God himself who laid the body of Moses to rest. It's been said among the rabbis that what happened was God kissed Moses. God received the breath of Moses. God received the soul of Moses. And then God himself buried Moses. Buried Moses in the region that we know where the region is, but we have never known exactly where the burial spot of Moses was. So that's the text. That's what's going on here in Deuteronomy chapter 34. We see the end of a great man. Now, I know this is an old-fashioned preaching method to offer three points in a poem, but I'm going to do that this morning. I'm going to offer three points, uh, though there will not be a poem at the end. When I look at this text, there are three major ideas that jump out at me. There are three major ideas that uh, over the years since I first encountered this text have continued to resonate in my life. When I look at this text concerning the death and the burial of Moses, I am reminded, I'm reminded that our disobedience, all of our actions, our disobedience to God has consequences. Sometimes they're rather small consequences. Sometimes they are grave consequences. But our disobedience to God has consequences. God is a God of great, great forgiveness. We know that. God does shower mercy and grace upon us in abundance. But we also know from life and from the Bible that forgiveness never erases consequences. There's always consequences to our choices. There's always consequences to our behavior. And here in this text, you see that there were some consequences to something that Moses did one day. There's a reason why God did not choose to allow Moses to enter into land of promise. And perhaps you know the reason why Moses was not allowed to enter the land of promise. We are told in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, specifically what it was that Moses did that caused Moses to forfeit the gift of the entrance into the land of promise with all the other Israelites. We're told in Numbers about a particular incident from the life of Moses. Perhaps you recall it. If not, let me offer it to you. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses is leading the children of Israel through the wilderness wanderings as they're making their way to the promised land. And they're at a place called Meribah. And we need to remember Meribah. Meribah is mentioned in another place in the Hebrew Bible. As a matter of fact, you can go to Psalm 95 and you see a mention of Meribah in Psalm 95. And the reason that is important is there's a tradition from the history of the church that encourages us to use Psalm 95 every day in our prayer time at the beginning of the day to call us to worship to God. And there in that wonderful psalm, there's a reminder of Meribah. In Psalm 95, it says, it says that we should not harden our hearts 
to the voice of God, we should remember the disobedience that occurred there at Meribah. So we need to know what happened at Meribah there in the wilderness wanderings. And you can read about it in Numbers 20. The people have been complaining to Moses since about the time they left Egypt. They just grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. I understand Moses' frustration. The people just grumbled and grumbled and complained and complained. And here in chapter 20 of Numbers, they are complaining because they have ran out of water. And that's probably a very valid complaint. We need water to live. But the people have seen already how God had provided for them in their past. But here they were grumbling at Moses, saying the same sort of thing to Moses. Moses, why didn't you just let us die in slavery in Egypt? At least we had food and water in Egypt. Well, Moses, I'm sure, was again frustrated with these people he is trying to lead into the land of promise. He's frustrated, and in the midst of his frustration, though, God speaks a gracious word. God says to Moses, go to this particular rock that I will show you and speak to the rock, and I will give water from the rock. Well, Moses was so frustrated, he went to the rock, but I think you, you, you see Moses in a fit of impatient anger, taking his rod and striking the rock. Water came out. The people needed water. But God had told Moses to speak to the rock. But Moses, in his fit of impatient anger, struck the rock. And because of that disobedience, Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land. Now, you may think that's a rather insignificant act of disobedience. Maybe you think God overreacted to Moses. But I think God wants to make sure we understand that any time we get a clear word from God about something we should do, whether it's the clear word of God's Scripture or a clear word that comes to us through prayer or a clear word that comes through, to us through spiritual counsel from other people in our lives, when we get that clear word from God, we need to, to obey. We need to obey. We need to be those kind of people who say yes to God before we even know what it is that God wants us to do. We live in a posture of yes to God. We live in a posture of obedience. But there was Moses. He had a fit of impatient anger. And it cost him entering into the land of promise. You know, I've run across some people in my life that seem to almost enjoy, appreciate, their hot tempers. I think sometimes they do that. They won't admit it to me, but sometimes they do that because they know that it's that hot temper that keeps other people from running over them. We need to beware of our hot tempers. We need to beware of those fits of anger that we have in our lives. Sometimes those fits of anger can cost us so much more than we're ever willing to spend to have that fit of anger. It certainly did Moses there in Numbers chapter 20. I know for my own life, um, sometimes when I get angry with someone or frustrated with someone, I just have a practice. I never respond to that person until I've calmed down. Now, it may take a week, but I don't respond to that person until I've calmed down because I want to be in control of myself when I do it. I want to make sure my head is controlling my heart 
You know, our head should always control our heart. We appreciate our heart. We appreciate our emotions. But the way we have been structured is our head should always control our heart. Poor Moses forfeited entrance into the land of promise for this simple act of disobeying a direct word from God that's recorded for us in Numbers chapter 20. God is so good to us in so many ways. God continues to pour grace upon grace uh, into our lives. God forgives and forgives and forgives. But we need to never think of God being what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that great Lutheran pastor who died in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. We should never think of God's grace as cheap grace. Grace is not just God letting us off the hook. Grace is God's gift of himself to us that does bring forgiveness, but brings transformation. It brings transformation into our lives because God doesn't just want to let us off the hook. That's not what pardon and forgiveness is all about. God doesn't just want to let us off the hook. God wants to change us. God wants to help us become more like Jesus Christ. We, we need to be careful about our fits of impatient anger. And we need to be very careful to obey all that God tells us to obey. We should have a heart that says yes to God before we even know what the assignment is. Forgiveness doesn't erase the consequences of our behaviors. God offers forgiveness, but there still may very well be consequences to our behavior. We see that here in the life of Moses and in the death of Moses. Number two, when I look at this text, is, is this. This text reminds me that as a human being, as human beings, we need to be aware, be very aware, beware of, of putting too much confidence in other human beings. We need to be careful about how we reverence other human beings. We, we know that we don't want to ever slip over the line between reverence to worship, but even though we don't want to slip over that line, sometimes our reverence for other human beings can get us in trouble. Human nature being what it is means simply that every human being in our life will disappoint us at some point. Every human being in our life has the potential of betraying us at some point in our life. Every human being in our life is a frail human being. As the Psalms say, is a child of dust. We're but mortal. So we need to be very careful of investing too much esteem in other human beings. I always tell couples in pre-marriage counseling that they need to never expect a perfection out of their spouse that belongs only to God. We need to never expect a perfection out of our spouse, out of our children, out of our friends, out of our pastor, out of our church that belongs only to God. Sometimes we have such unrealistic expectations about those other human beings in our life. I think the reason, and I think it's implied in the text, I think the reason that Moses himself was buried by God was that God wanted to make sure that no one ever knew where Moses was buried. In the list of all the heroes of the Old Testament, the greatest one, David is a close second, but the greatest one is Moses. 
God knew how we are. If, if, if the Israelites knew where Moses was buried, there would be a shrine there, and there would be people going there, and they may make way too much out of Moses. They may almost worship Moses. And I think God wanted to prevent that. Moses was one of the greatest people that we know about in the Hebrew Bible, but he still was human. He still had his flaws. We saw one of those flaws illustrated in Numbers chapter 20. So God is saying to us, be very, very careful about worshiping, even reverencing other human beings too much. You know, I get really tired of people talking about all the hypocrites in the church. And I always say, yeah, you're right, but we got room for another hypocrite. Won't you come join us? Human nature being what it is, is hypocritical. I hope that all of us have standards beyond our living. Hope all of us have standards that are higher than what we achieve every day. I hope we don't dumb down our standards to, to meet the actual living of my life. I'm always preaching beyond myself. I'm always stretching beyond myself. I don't live up to 100% of everything I want to live up to. I hope no human being is. Sometimes you can just become satisfied with what you've reached in life, and you can just lower your standards down to meet where you're at in life. But hopefully our goal is always further, further away from us. So in a sense, none of us completely live up to what we profess we want to be. We're all works in progress. We acknowledge that. We know that. We're realistic in the Christian community about human nature. God can do great things in human nature. But God's got a lot of work to do on most of us. And that's why we're always struggling and striving to get somewhere that we're not right now. We know that. People outside the Christian community sometimes seem to fail to know that. So we need to remember human nature. We need to have a realistic expectation of human nature. Remember that a lot of our anger, a lot of our frustration in life comes from unrealistic expectations from each other and from God. I think Moses was buried in a secret place because God knew how the Israelites would respond to a gravesite for Moses. Thirdly, this text reminds me that, um, and this may be the overwhelming theme of this text, this text reminds me that we should strive to live in such a way that we leave a remarkable legacy behind us. We will all leave a legacy. People will talk about you after you die. We're gonna all leave a legacy. We need to strive to live a life that will leave a legacy that tells to the world around us that we wanted first and foremost to live Christ-centered, God-honoring lives. Did you hear what was said about Moses in this text? You heard that in this text, he's referred to early in the text, he's referred to in verse 5 as the servant of the Lord. Wouldn't you like to be known as the servant of the Lord when you leave this world. When people think about you, that's what comes to their minds. He was a servant of the Lord. And then if you look down a little further toward the latter part of the text, 
it says that never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses. Never since had there, has there arisen a prophet like Moses among the people of Israel. I'll offer you something as an aside just so you know. I think you know. After the death of Moses, there was never a prophet like Moses. But there was one greater than Moses who came. And I hope that you know this one who was greater than Moses. But Joshua, and I believe it's Joshua, says, Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Hebrew there literally says mouth to mouth. There was a tremendous intimacy between Moses and God. Moses was a servant of the Lord. He also was a friend of God. They lived in such close intimacy that Moses did not need a mediator to help him reach God or to hear from God. Moses didn't have to go through other people to hear the voice of God. There was such an intimacy between Moses, and he was a human being just like we are. There was such an intimacy between Moses that it was like they spoke to each other face to face. That was kind of relationship. God had with Moses. And this is what the people are remembering after Moses is gone. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled, unequaled until the one greater than Moses comes. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt. You remember how God, through Moses, brought those plagues to the land of Egypt that helped free the children of Israel from Pharaoh. So you hear what Joshua wrote about Moses. You hear the way Moses was remembered after he died. All of us should live in such a way that the memories we leave behind are memories that are a legacy that we really wish to leave behind. We all have a multitude of passions. I have a lot of passions. One of them, for instance, is genealogy. But when I leave this world, I don't want to be just known because of my passion for genealogy. We all have a lot of passions. We need to make sure those passions are rightly ordered. Just like we have a lot of loves in this life, we need to make sure our loves are rightly ordered so that when we leave this world for the world to come, they may say a lot about us, but we really want to be called a servant of the Lord, a friend of God. I want the people who come after me to know that. I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm an obituary reader. I go now to websites for the local funeral homes on a regular basis, and I read obituaries, and I learn a lot from obituaries. And I often wonder, what will be written about me? after I'm gone, I realize that my wife and my daughter and my son-in-law are in the room. If you want any advice, I'll, I'll give you something in, in advance to help you write mine. You can edit it at the time, change it and edit it. But I often wonder, what will they write about me? What will they remember about me? What will be said in my funeral service? I hope all of us are asking questions like that. You know, in the history of the church, we've always said that at the end of the day, we need to remember that one day we're going to leave this world. 
Now I lay me down to sleep. I ask the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's a frightening prayer to teach to children, but it comes out of a good theology. We need to think, at least daily, that one of these days we're going to step over to the other side. And they're going to be writing stuff about us. What will they say? We all have role models. I invite you to choose your role models carefully. We all have role models. I'll offer Moses to you as a possible option. One greater than Moses comes uh, several hundred years after Moses. I pray that we know that one greater than Moses and that we have enthroned that one greater than Moses in our lives so that the world around us will understand that we seek to live Christ-centered, God-honoring lives. I'm going to invite us into a few moments of silence because particularly today, I, I want the Holy Spirit to finish this message in each one of our individual hearts. I want each one of us to hear something from the Spirit, particular to this message that we need to hear on this day. So my friends, would you pray with me?